right, um, Caitlin already read our passage tonight. We're in 1 John chapter 2. Um, so if you have your Bibles um, not open there, you can go ahead and do that now. Um, just going to give you a quick recap of a couple things that John has said in chapter 2 so far. Um, there's been a lot of claims made in this chapter, uh, a lot of things that people claim. And I don't know if you guys know this. Um, I, I see this, I'll just speak as a guy, okay, because I am one. Um, guys are the worst at this. Like, we really are bad about this. We make claims, but a lot of times, it's like we always want to stretch the truth a little bit. Like, younger kids are really bad about this. Like, younger guys are the worst, okay? So, like, I'll just use myself as an example, because I'm not going to throw any young people under the bus in here, okay? So, as a young kid, I had a, a trick bike. I got it from Toys R Us. It was not that special. It wasn't, like, X Games branded. It wasn't even, like, the nice brand. But it was a silver and blue, and it had pegs on the front wheels and the back wheels. And I used to think, like, I could do trick stuff. And I could BMX. And so, like, I would go off curbs, and I would pop wheelies. I would go down the hill and ride on, like, the side spokes of the pegs and do this. And I thought I was hot stuff. And so, like, when people would be, this was back in the day, too, like, the X Games were a big deal back then. They were cool. Nowadays, I don't really know what the X Games even are. I don't even know if they're a big deal anymore. But the X Games were cool on ESPN, okay? So everybody was like, what do you do? Do you skateboard? Do you rollerblade? Do you, like, BMX? And I was like, yeah, I BMX. Not BMX. I have a bike with pegs on it that I got from Toys R Us, and occasionally I hop a curb. So the one time that I decided to try to go a little extra, there was this mound of dirt in our, in our uh, neighborhood that was like in between the, the street and the sidewalk. So the curb is here, and then here's the, the mound. And so I thought, time to shine. It's time to show what I got on this thing, right? So I go up. And I decide I'm going to do a bar spin. If you don't know what a bar spin is, it's really simple. You go up, you spin your bars around, and then you catch them and you land. So in the air, you spin them. That sounds really good. Except when you spin the bars, they got to make a full revolution. Because if they don't and they land sideways, have you ever seen a bike tire land this way when you're going this way? You have? Yeah, it doesn't end well. It's, it hurts. So it happened to me, and the, the handlebars of the bike were like this. I landed, it then basically plunged into my side, and I felt like I had just been hit by a ton of bricks. And so I then later on am like limping and kind of like holding my side, and I don't want to show the wound on the side of my stomach that is all kinds of purple and blue because it was probably the closest thing I've ever had to bruised or cracked ribs. But I would still tell people, I BMX. You guys chuckle, but high school guys, okay, high school guys who are in here, you guys, you guys do this too. You guys, listen, I'm, gonna call, I'm not going to call them out specifically. I'm looking at all you guys over here because I think there's all ladies on this side of the room. I'm not going to call them out specifically, but, but guys like to tell other guys, and maybe sometimes they'll tell girls this, how much do you bench? Oh, bro. Bro. I bench, get this, I bench 150. You know what you, know what you do, girls, if they ever tell you that? All you have to do is do the math in your head. Subtract about 60 from whatever they said, and you're probably in the neighborhood of where they're actually at. So, okay, so, to, so you, you say that you don't exaggerate, but you might, you probably do. See, that's the kind of thing. Guys do this all the time. We make claims, but then somebody's like, back it up. So if you ever have a guy at the gym goes, yeah, I bench 250, you go ahead, oh, okay, I'll spot you. And what happens is the bar goes like this, and it never comes back up. So that, that's what happens. Back up your claims, right? See, in 1 John... There have been claims being made by people, by false 
believer. They're not actual believers, but they make claims about their faith. And John is essentially saying, no, 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 let's call this out. You say you do this, let, let, I'll spot you. Let's see how this really goes in your spiritual walk. Let me give you a review. Previously in chapter 2, here's two claims that he's already covered. First one, people who claim to know him. Uh, verse 4 says this, whoever says or claims I know him, but then does not keep his commandments is a liar. Okay, so here are people who make a claim. I know Jesus, but they don't keep his commandments. There's a claim, they can't back it up. Here's another one, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. I live in him. Here's what they said. Whoever says he abides in Christ, that person ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. So again, people are saying, like, I have Christ within me. I live with him. He is my friend. Like, I walk in step with Christ. But then they don't walk in the way that, they, that Christ himself walked. There's another claim. In verse 9, which Caitlin read earlier, here's another one, the third one of this chapter. Whoever says or claims he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Here's essentially the claim, right? The claim is, is that I walk, I live, I love God, but the way that you treat his people doesn't reflect that. A claim, I wrote this down, is a, is a promise you're making about your character. You're telling somebody else about what you're like, what, where your heart's really at. You're claiming this is who you are. You are saying this is identifying marker of my life. And it, what John is saying is there are people who claim to be Christians, but yet they say, I don't like going to church. Church people are the worst, right? You can't do that. And we talked about that a little bit last week. You can't have that claim and the contradiction. The claim is I walk in light with Christ. The contradiction, I can't stand this person at church. I want to I talk a little bit about hate and love a little bit because those two words are prominent in the passage that we read. And in verse 9 it says, he hates his brother. But in verse 10 it says, whoever loves his brother. So we've got to talk about a little bit about the difference between hate and love. And a lot of you guys think, I got, no, I got a clear picture of that. That's pretty easy, pretty elementary. I don't really need to go in depth with that. But I always think, and if you don't know this about me, I really enjoy words. I, under, I like to understand where words come from, the background, the, the dig into the deep meanings, the symbolism behind words. I love it. I think it's really fascinating because I love how we communicate with each other because it matters. And, and the word in the Greek for hatred or hate that we get here, the verb hate, his brother, literally means that you would want to, to separate. Like you, you want to separate from that person. You, you don't want to be physically near them, but you also want to emotionally separate from them. Like you just don't want to be in that engagement with them. And, and so the word hate is really jarring. You would be like, I don't really hate anybody in this room. That's really strong language. Now, I got some people I hate, but I don't hate anybody in this room. But, but the reality is, is that that word hatred is used correctly to say when you separate intentionally from someone, whether that be physically avoiding them altogether, being like, oh, they're here, I'm not going. Are they coming to that? I'm not coming. Or, you know, they, you see them show up in the room, eh, turn about, right? You, 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 just, you physically avoid them. Or you could emotionally avoid them. You, you could know that things are going on in their life and you just emotionally check away from them. You avoid them altogether. It, this is what it looks like for hatred according to the actual word that is being used in Scripture. That's what Scripture is trying to get at. How are you treating this person? I think it's really important to understand that. The other idea, too, is that you don't even want to think about that person. 
you know, there, there are times when, when you are at odds with somebody or, or there's a, there is a disagreement that you have, right? And, and you naturally tend to, your tendency is to, I, I just don't want to think about this right now. I don't want to think about how that's affecting that person. I, I don't even want to give thought to how I could fix this. I, don't, I really don't want to engage with this person. I don't want to give them room. I don't want them to have any thoughts in my, in my head. I don't want to give them the, the space to live rent-free in my mind. So I'm not even going to give thought to them. That, again, is falling into this idea of hatred. You're separating. You're separating from this person. Now, we're going to get to this in a couple weeks, so hang on to this definition. Because I'm going to bring it back up, but in a couple of verses later, if you read ahead... In chapter 2, verse 15, it talks about the love of the world, and I think it's important to understand how we love and hate in those differences. Because here's what love looks like. You guys may know this, but there are different Greek words for love. There's three of them. The one that is used here is is from the root agape. You may have heard this before in church or somewhere else, but agape is sacrificial, intimate, close love. It is it is the highest, purest form of love that they have in their language. We, we don't do this. Um, we, we tack on other words like brotherly love. That, that, that's a different type of love, like for your friends. There's like a friendship, brotherly type love that we, we talk about. But we still call it love at some level. We just kind of use the word love, and, and it kind of captures a lot of stuff, right? Um, you think of, you know, whether that's romantic love or relationship love between a husband and wife or a family, right? You, you, God is love. So there's a lot of just, we just throw around this word love. But, but in the Greek, the word is from agape. This one is a verb. It's actually agapo. And it means to show a deep level of affection. Now, here's why it's different than hatred. Hatred means to separate. In order to love somebody with an agape or agapo type of action, you can't do that from a distance to come near to them. So, so here's the key difference between hatred and love. The distance. Like we're going to talk about this later on in a couple weeks when we get to talking about your love for the world and how you, are you distancing yourself from that. I don't want to steal too much of where that's going in that message in a couple weeks because I'm looking forward to that. But, but get this in your mind is that love means that you have to come near to someone. You've got you to gotta draw near to them. You've got to be close can't separate. And, and so in, in God's word, when he says that as a believer, you cannot say this, you cannot say that you are with me in the light, but have this separation between you and another person in Christ. You can't have that. Now, does that mean you can't have disagreements? No, we're going to disagree. That's okay. But you can't allow that disagreement to separate you from that other person. You can't allow that disagreement to drive a wedge between you and that other person. There's got to be some self-sacrifice that happens in here that allows you to draw into it. This agapo word also means that people generally give that type of love when they regard something with high value. So this is where I, I want you guys to think about this. How much do you value the other people in this room? Now, sure, you value those who you consider your best friends in here. You value them. You really like them. But do you value the other people who you don't know as well? You may not even know their name. They may sit on the other side of the room every Wednesday, and you may kind of recognize their face. Like if you guys passed in the grocery store or something, like, oh, yeah, yeah, like that's that person that goes to church with me, but I don't really know them. 
or oh yeah yeah, yeah. like that's that new middle school person or I'm in high school so I don't really care. Um, that is not what we're striving for, right? Or you might be in middle school and be like, oh, that's that really tall person. What's that person's name? Ah, I don't really want to talk to him. Okay, I'm scared. Doesn't doesn't it doesn't just go with the older people have to reach down to the younger people. Younger people, you can reach up to the older people. It goes both ways. But here's the deal. It is not just regarding the people that you think are worth your time. It's regarding everyone with high value. Like that, and we're going to get to why we have to do that in a minute. But, but that is the idea that, that John is getting after here. In terms of loving others, you need to ascribe or see the value in other people. And if you see value in them, if you, see, you, you value things at a high level and you love those things. Some things you don't think are worth your time, and you don't love them. Some of you guys, you love your PS5. It is a high value. It costs you a lot of money, so therefore, highly valued. Some of you love your cell phone because you spend a lot of time on it, so it's highly valued. Some of you spend a lot of time with your friends, so you highly value those relationships. You love them. Some of you don't highly value cleaning up things. It's very low on your value scale. Some of you, very low on the value scale, schoolwork. Don't have time for that. Don't love it, right? right. So the, you, you love what you value. Value one another. Because we're called to love one another as Christ has loved us. I want to take you to, you don't have to flip there. I'm just going to give you a quick uh, summary of it. But in Malachi chapter 3, there's a really interesting story. And I want you guys to understand why fellowship with believers and loving one another is so important. Okay? So, so in Malachi chapter 3, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of what has happened. Basically, the people of God, the nation of Israel, they are literally yelling at God throughout Malachi. It's a really interesting book. They say things to God that you are like, man, that is bold. You would really, like, shout that into the face of God? Like, let me give you an example, okay? Here, here's one that God recalls what they have said in verse uh, 13 of chapter 3. God says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. They've said a lot of nasty things about God. And then the people have the audacity to say, but you say, how have we spoken against you? So, so they go back to God, like, God says, you said some really hard things about me. And they go, how have we spoken hard against you? What have we done wrong? Then God says, this is exactly what you've said. You've said it is vain. It's worthless to serve God. What profit does it do us for keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now the arrogant are blessed. Evildoers prosper, but they, they, they put God to the test and they escape. Essentially, these people have been saying, listen, God, you're not active. You're not doing anything. People do the wrong thing and they win. Good guys do the right thing and they lose. This is dumb. I don't, I'm checking out. I don't think you are who you say you are. Essentially, that's what they've been saying to God. And then God calls them out on it and they go, how have we said anything harsh against you? We didn't say something wrong against you, God. And God calls them out and says, this is exactly what you've said. This is the type of culture that's happening in the time of Malachi. So you've got most of the people doing this. The general population are saying these things. But then in verse 16, something interesting happens. It says this, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. So they came together in fellowship. They valued each other. They saw that there was something interesting that connected them to each other. And it was that they all feared the Lord. 
They didn't see God the way that the others did. And it says that the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possessions. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who, ser- who serves him. This is interesting. Now, God, God knows all and sees all. But I think it's really fascinating that God sees these people gathered together encouraging one another in the midst of a lot of other people not being spiritual, not following God, not not believing in God. And these people gather together and they talk to one another about who God is and they fear the Lord together. Like these are God's people coming together and, and worshiping. And God saw them doing that together and there's something where he paid special attention to them and he tells them and he says this, that they will be remembered. They will be mine. They are my possession. God loves it when you fellowship with other believers. He loves it. There's something special about this to God. He, he takes special notice when you and I are in these right relationships and we're drawing near to each other, we're valuing each other, and we're not living where we don't, we don't distance ourselves from each other. We actually come nearer to one another and work through difficulties and work through disagreements. And some people find other people annoying. And you know what? I, I choose to overlook the things that I find annoying about you because you are in Christ and I'm in Christ. And so let's love one another the way that Christ loved us. That right there is what God really enjoys. Malachi 3 is a perfect example of that. Let me get, take you back now. I'm sorry I just detoured right there because I thought that was a really interesting story and maybe you don't get into the Old Testament very often. But back in First John now, okay? Back in verse 10 now. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So here we go. It ends with this. There's a difference between light and dark, love and hate, right? Love and light go together. Darkness and hatred go together. So how do you want to do, do this? This is where it gets really practical, right? Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, remains in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Okay, so, so here's what you get when you are in the light. When you choose to draw near to other people, when you choose to value them, when you choose not to push them away or create distance, here's what happens. You start to live in the light because you're doing exactly what Jesus did. You're acting more like Christ, and so this draws you into the light. You will clearly see where you are going. When you are in a well-lit place, unless you are super clumsy, because I know some people are going to say, I still trip when it's perfectly bright outside. Unless you're super clumsy, or your shoes are untied, or something runs in front of you, you can clearly see where you're going when it's well-lit. When the room is well-lit, you clearly see where you're going. There's no tripping, there's no stumbling. You're not lost. The stumbling here is for you and for others. It's such an encouragement thing, right? You and I can walk in the light when we're with Christ. And we don't have to worry about stumbling into traps. That's what that word is meaning, is that when you stumble, there's a trap laid out, and it's intentionally trying to make you fall. So the lights are on. When you're, when you're walking in fellowship with one another, you're in the light of Christ, there's no traps laid out. There's not some secret agenda waiting to pull you down. That's not going to happen when you're walking in the light. That's good. And the other good thing, not just are you going to be able to continue walking, other people aren't going to stumble. You're not going to cause other people to trip up and fall. 
You know why? Because you're walking with them. You're going to encourage them. You're going to keep them from falling. Romans 14 says it this way. Therefore, don't let any of us pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 19, he goes on to say this. So then, instead, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Listen, when you are with other people and you're walking in their life, are you seeking ways to build them up? Are you seeking ways to figure out how to acknowledge them and encourage them? Or are you just looking out for what you want? Are you just trying to get what you deserve? But are you trying to actually not put a stumbling block in front of them? Just trying to clear the path so they can see Jesus clearly. The way that you act, the things that you choose to do, the things things that you choose to say, the things that you choose to watch, the things that you choose to direct people to, don't put a stumbling block in front of them so they trip up on their way to Christ. We're supposed to be walking in the light together. So don't put up that stumbling block. So how do we how do we do this? How do we do this? We don't want to do that. We don't want to put up the stumbling block. I think it comes from humility. This is, this is why it's so important for fellowship to not just be about the people that you think are cool or you think deserve or you value. So I really want to spend time on the whole value thing. Because Christ-like love is valuing those who are not like you. Christ-like love is valuing those who may not be interested in the things that you're interested in. You know why that's true? Because Jesus did that. Jesus humbly loved those who were not like him. Like This is one of my favorite passages. You can get so much out of this passage. But in Philippians 2, I'm going to read verses 6 through 8 first and then go backwards to 3 through 5, okay? This is talking about Jesus. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be, a, to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by, being, be, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's what this verse is telling you. Jesus, who was in the form of God, he is different from you and me. You and I are not like God. You were created in his image, but man, there is a gulf. There is a vast difference between God and you. You are nothing like him. And in fact, it goes on because he is perfect and pure and holy. We are broken, limited, and sinful. We are not like him. But yet he became like us. He took on the likeness of us and loved us. Jesus loved those who were not like him. You and I are not like him, and yet he loved you unconditionally. So so for us to reflect Christ-like love, we have to love those who are not like us. Hard. People have different views on things than you and I do. You've got to still love them. Again, learn to disagree, but don't let the disagreement cause division. Now, take you to verses 3 through 5 of that same chapter. So because of who Jesus is, this is why it says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, and let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Which mind? The mind of Christ that says, I am going to take the form of a servant, even servanthood to death. I will empty myself of my rights in order that somebody else may flourish. I will empty myself of my rights so that somebody else may have joy. Do you 
guys ever think about a time in your life where you had actually emptied yourself of the things you wanted to do for the good of somebody else? Maybe you have, and that's great. But I'll be honest with you, those times are probably few and far between compared to the times that we just say, I want what I want. Or like if you have ever been in a guy's Bible study or in Sunday school with Mr. Kevin around here, he says, we want what we want. That's always a good line. We want what we want. That's, that's the condition of our heart. We want what we want. We like what we like. But you know what? How often are we able to say, here's what I want. Let me put that to the side. What do you want? Hey, hey, friend. Hey, hey, somebody who I, I, I see you at church, but how can I pray for you? How, how can I encourage you? I, I wanted to get through this. I got my own stuff right now. I was going to get through this, but how could I put your interests above my own? That, that's what it looks like to be humble, to see that Christ loves who don't like, look like him. Second way you can do it, just use your words, your actions, your time, maybe even your money for the good of fellow believers. But, but for you guys, I mean, the money thing I'm not going to get too heavy into, but man, your words, yes, absolutely. Your actions and maybe your time. How can those things that you have readily available to you, there is no cost to you. Your words are free. You got plenty of them, don't you? Right? You got plenty of words that you can speak about. How do you use those? Are they good? Are they uplifting? Are they building up those other people around you? How about your actions? Do the things that you do cause stumbling for other believers? They shouldn't. You should be living in the light. Does your time, do you devote time to other people? It's another way to lay down your life for the good of fellow believers. Another way to do it is to look for the evidence of God's grace in the lives of others. And the other one is to deal with hatred quickly. In Ephesians, it says just don't let the sun go down in your anger. There's a reason for that. You don't want to basically allow a day to close out where you're still harboring bitterness and anger against another person. Because if you do, it'll swell. It'll continue to fester. It'll rot. Because it, you will continue to go day after day, and it will rot and decay, that relationship. And so you need to deal with it quickly. Danny Aiken, uh, he's over at Southeastern Seminary where many people have gone from this church, but he says this about darkness. This is the difference between dark and light. He says, darkness attacks those living in it so that they become increasingly trapped. They stumble in this realm of confusion and blindness. The longer one remains in the realm of darkness, the more difficult it becomes to see the sin that is in one's life. And the less likely one is to see his need to confess his sin. So that his fellowship with God can be restored. Habitual hatred leads to more hatred. And the possibility of loving becomes less and less likely. So if, if you continue to hold on to bitterness and hatred towards other people, it gets harder and harder to have functioning relationships that is easy to love. Because you're dwelling in darkness and you're becoming accustomed to it. You're becoming comfortable in that place. When John says that these people walk in the dark, they do not know where they are going. They are blind. They are lost. They are blind. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says it this way. In, this, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds. Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what it's like to be caught in darkness. You get caught in that habitual hatred, distancing yourself from other people. That's really not where any of you want to be. You don't want to be trapped 
You don't want to be walking in places where the, where these constant things that are going to make you trip, fall, and hurt yourself or hurt others. You, you want to get out of that, right? You're sick of the cycle where you're just going, why do I keep messing up? Why do I keep hurting people? Why do I keep hurting myself? I'm so sick of this. Man, if that's you, you're finally seeing and you're finally getting, like, I am in a place where this is not right, it's not healthy, it's dark. And I hate it here. I want to get out of this. But, but man, I just don't know how. Like, you, you say all these things like Christ and light and humble myself and love other people. But I just don't have that in me. Like, where does this come from? I don't really know. And, I, and so I don't want to be in this darkness anymore. I don't. That's where the good news comes in. This is the good news of Christ. So if you feel like, man, I've been walking in this darkness for too long. Here's the good news. Ready? That Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. If you're in the darkness, you're lost. Good news. Jesus comes to seek and save you. He actually reaches into the darkness. He's not afraid of it. He actually knows where you are in the darkness, and he pulls you out of it. It's like a searchlight. He finds you, pulls you right out. The other thing that Jesus does is he heals the blind. Not just physical blindness, like all those in in, in the Gospels that he does heal who actually physically could not see. That was actually physical healing, but he also heals spiritual blindness. And he said this to his cousin, John the Baptist. He says, tell John this, the blind are going to receive their sight, the lame are walking, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. There is good news for you. If you have been trapped in darkness and you dwelt in it for so long that you are just at home in it, guess what? You can get out. Not on your own. Not on your own. You're not going to rescue yourself. You're not the hero. 